0: And so, as I mentioned to you, we are so blessed today to have Dr. Harold Sela. He is a spiritual father as well as a mentor to me. And every time we uh, have a chit-chat, he always pours his life into me and some of the things that he has learned in life. And so, every time we get to meet each other, I'm really greatly enriched. Of course, that is so true with Darlene as well and Um, Boney and, uh, um, sorry, Louisa. Uh, My mind is, I'm still on jet lag. So So praise God for them. Uh, We thank the Lord. And so without much ado, let's all welcome in our midst, Dr. Harold Sela. Let's give the Lord a big hand, please. This
1: is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. I am glad that I am here. I was sitting there a few minutes ago thinking that ministry has taken me into more than <clears throat> taken me into more than 40 countries of the world. But I can tell you there's no place on planet earth that I would rather be than standing where I am today. We are in the midst of a miracle. God has raised up this facility and this church to impact Not only a city and a nation, but the world as well. You have a gifted pastor and Pastor Mel and his wife Marie. And it's been a number of years since I stood here and proclaimed the word. But it's a real joy for me to do that. There's a book table over there, and there are two books that I saw for the first time just this morning. Straight talk about ministry which is a reflection of more than 60 years of my personal ministry, and then one by my wife and daughter, entitled Created for a Purpose by Bonnie and Darlene. A few years ago, I turned the leadership of guidelines over to my daughter Bonnie, and it has been amazing how God has blessed that move. Come on Bonnie, tell us just a little bit about what the Lord is doing. And by the way, after the service this morning, we'll be at the book table, and we'll be glad to autograph the books that you would like us to.
2: Thank you. Thank you, Dad. it. It has been my joy, my unexpected joy, to lead our Ministry of Guidelines now into its second generation. And you know, it also gave me joy this morning to be worshiping with you, to be lifting up the name of Jesus. And, you know, the desire of all of our hearts would be that the name of Jesus would be praised, would be glorified by those from every tongue, every tribe, and every nation on earth. And, you know, that is happening. That is happening. At Guidelines, of course, many of you are probably familiar with our Guidelines for Living radio program. But what you may not know is that we have begun to share the five-minute Guidelines for Living program in many different languages and many parts of the earth. We have a short little video to show you this morning about why we're sharing devotionals throughout the world. you have many different resources. You have this incredible church body. You have radio. You have access to incredible books and literature uh, from OMF Lit. But in many places in the world, this is not the case today. Believe it or not, there are still so many places that the name of Jesus is not known. And as Guidelines has begun to share uh, our devotionals, as God has opened up doors, we have been very surprised that most of the doors that he has been opening have been in the Muslim world. Do you know what God is doing in the Muslim world today? Missiologists, this that's people that study missions, believe that in the last 10 years, more Muslims have come to faith in Jesus Christ than in the last 15 centuries of Islam. This is is happening in places like Kyrgyzstan, in Albania, in Kosovo, in Turkey, even in Syria, even in the heart of the Middle East. And what we love is that sometimes we get to hear from people who have heard about Jesus for the very first time. They've heard about a God (coughs) of love that has reached down to them. I'd like to share a little note that we got from a man named Moxie. He's 42 years old and he lives in the country of Albania a Muslim-majority country. He had been listening to the Guidelines for (laughs) a Living program in his heart language, Albanian, and he says that he's been touched by listening about God's love. He has five people in his family, his wife and three sons, and he says quite often he used to fight with his wife and his sons. He never felt at peace as a person, and he always used a reason to begin a fight, and he used violence against his family members. By listening to God's love programs about God's love, he said he began to solve his problems in a different way, taking into consideration God's love and peace. He says now that he knows about God's love, where he thought that violence was the only way to keep his family under control, he now prays with his family members. They all ask for forgiveness of sins and for God's peace in their family. That is the transforming power of the message of Jesus. So many of you help us share Jesus around the world. We want to thank you for that. Uh, If you'd like to know more about our work, visit our website, guidelines.org. And now I'd like to hand the mic over to my favorite speaker, Dr. (laughs) Harold Sala.
1: And one one last postscript. Darlene and I do not take a centavo from the sale of any of our books, but the resources enable us to print and to distribute literature in parts of the world where they do not have an OMF lit. So subsequently, God is good. I believe he has a word for each one of you who are here this morning. I would call my talk this morning, How to Have a Life of Significance through the power of the Holy Spirit. 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 to 17. Do not love the world or the things that are in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eye and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust thereof. But he who does the will of God abides forever. And forever is a long, long time. And then Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I earnestly plead with you, brothers, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And stop being conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your faith, that you may demonstrate what is that good and acceptable and complete will of God. Significance and success and achievement as viewed by the world is vastly different from God's view of the same thing. Consider the following individuals. They have reached the pinnacle of success in their career and yet failed. George Eastman, the founder of Eastman Kodak. Some of you who uh, have a little gray on your hair may remember you know, the yellow box where film came in. Lee Pong, vice president of Korea. Kurt Cobain, the musician. Vincent van Gogh, who first went into ministry and then decided he was a better painter than a minister. If you ever get to Amsterdam, you can visit the museum in his honor. Ernest Hemingway, author of For Whom the Bells Toll, Marilyn Monroe, movie star, Lauren Scott, fashion designer, Robin Williams, entertainer, and more recently, Anthony Bourdain, Kate Spain and fashion designer. The names of the individuals that I mentioned have two things in common. Number one, they were successful. Number two, success left the taste of ashes in their mouth, and they all ended up committing suicide. Significance from God's point of view is not fame or fortune. Significance from God's point of view is seeking and doing the will of God that allows you to be a tool in his hands. Significance from God's point of view allows the Holy Spirit to take control of your life, to direct you, to guide you, and to use you. Success from God's point of view means that he allows you to be a light in a dark, dark world. Success from God's point of view is filling you with the power of the Holy Spirit, making you the person that God designed you to be when you begin to follow Jesus. Achievement in the world is often bought with three currencies. One is integrity, number two, your marriage and family, and number three is your health. Let me reflect on the three for just a moment. When Paul wrote to the Corinthians, he said, If a man be in Christ, he is a new person. The old passes away, and all things become new. You were not born with character or integrity. As a rule of thumb, we understand what character and integrity are as we are raised in a Christian home. But in altogether too many homes, character and integrity are not important. Integrity is not measured in percentages, like a batting average in baseball or how many uh, three-pointers point, three somebody makes on the basketball court. A Toronto newspaper began getting reports from people who said, I took my car to a garage and they really took advantage of me. I didn't know much about uh, cars and so forth and so the Toronto, Toronto paper decided to send a reporter to a number of garages to see whether the allegations were valid. So the reporter would stop his car, raise the hood, and unplug a couple of spark plug wires from, from whatever drove the vehicle. So when he would pull into a garage, the car would be running, blah, 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 barely running. So he pulled into a garage where the owner was Cecil Bainton and he of course disconnected a couple of spark plug wires before he pulled in and when he pulled in he said you know I really don't know much about cars and this car will hardly run. So Cecil raised the hood of the car he saw there were two spark plug wires that were not connected he popped them on and he said No problem, it's just spark plug wires that were loose, and I fixed it for you. How much do I owe you? You don't owe me a thing. All I did is just plug in the spark plug wires. He says, I'm a Christian. I run an honest shop. So when the reporter wrote his story, you know who was featured, the honest mechanic. But a week later, the honest mechanic called the reporter and said, Would you please run another article in your paper? Tell people to stop coming to my shop. I can't get any work done. They line up for blocks because they think I'm an honest mechanic. Wow. Marriage and family are often traded for success in the world as well. I'm thinking of a Manila businessman who sat down with me, He said, Dr. Selah, I've made a lot of money. I'm the chairman of the board. I founded my company. But he said, my marriage and my family is in a miserable state of affairs. He told me of a wife who had barricaded herself in one of Manila's prime hotels and refused to come out, and of his children who were shipped to Stanford in the U.S., who wanted his money but wanted nothing to do with him. A young man once said, dad was a Phi Beta Kappa, a Rhodes Scholar, and a company president, but he flunked marriage, fatherhood, friendship, and fun. So what if you climb the greasy ladder to success, but you get there and you've lost your wife, you've lost your respect, and your teenage kids want nothing to do with you? A young man spoke audibly to his father, and he said dad was a Phi Beta Kappa, a Rhodes Scholar, and a company president. But he flunked marriage, fatherhood, friendship, and fun. Song of Solomon chapter 1 verse 6 says, You have made me a keeper of the vineyard, but my own vineyard have I not kept. The third currency that people often use to get to the top is their very health they simply work themselves to death and then they end up spending the money that they have accrued to try to regain the health that they have lost your body as a believer is a temple it is in by the holy spirit who wants to take control of your life so how can you have a life of significance through the power of the holy spirit Number one, turn your life and your resources over to Jesus Christ. Give God your plans for the future. In 1955, five young men were martyred on a sandy running strip in Ecuador. They wanted to take the gospel to the Alca Indians who were there. But when they arrived, the Alcas turned on them and began throwing spears to them. Jim Elliott was one of them. And what many people do not realize is, when they would not die, the Alcas took them and drugged them down to the river and they drowned them. Jim Elliott was one of those five. For a number of years, guidelines released a weekly television program seen in the Philippines over JMA. And on one occasion, Elizabeth Elliott, who was Jim Elliott's wife, was a guest on our program. So before we started to roll the film, I said, Elizabeth, we got a generation now who doesn't know Jim Elliott. What kind of a person was Jim, really? And she said, he was not one who asked the question, who am I, which so many people ask, but rather his question was, Whose am I? And he would then quote 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 19, that says, you are not your own, you were bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and your spirit because you belong to him. Some of you have heard of the Christian organization called Crew. originally it was called Campus Crusade for Christ. When Bill and Ed Bright decided to found an organization, They drew up a legal document bequeathing everything they had to Jesus Christ. Do you realize that if God has blessed you, he has blessed you for a reason and for a purpose, not simply to let you have a more expensive car and a nicer home? Number two, if you want to have a life of purpose and meaning, acknowledge that everything you have is a trust from God. It does not belong to you. He has put it in your hands so that you, in turn, could use it to bless others as well. And then I, in the 70s, Darlene and I lived here in the Philippines. And on one occasion, I was invited to fly to Boon Hen in northern Luzon along with a medical group, and we would minister to the people who were there. Quicklift Bible translators had gone into the area, and they had translated the New Testament. But I went along, and I was part of the group. They called me doctor, and the people thought I was the one who could uh, diagnose their problems. (laughs) I'd have to give them the real doctors. But at any length, as the sun began to set, people came down from the mountains all around there, and we had a service. Oh boy, it was no short one. It was a long one, because I spoke in English, and then it was translated into Tagalog and Ilocano. And then we took questions and answers. I will never forget a question that came from one particular individual. My translator turned to me and said, you see that guy over there? Sure. He's got a question for you. Okay, what's his question? His question is this, why should we, who have so little, give to God, who has so much? I thought, I have said nothing about money, but obviously, it's on his mind. I looked at him again. He's sitting over on the side, hungered down like this. He's wearing a G-string that barely covers some of the essentials, and an old T-shirt that must have come out of a missionary barrel that was stained and filthy and so forth. And I looked at him, and I thought, that's a good question. He has been thinking about money. I said, three reasons. Number one, simple obedience to the Word of God. Here's what Scripture says. Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in the store as God has prospered you. I said, number two, it is a means of blessing. Jesus said it himself, give, and it will be given to you, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. For with the same measure that you give, it will be given back to you. Now, what I am about to say is not boastful. It is merely a statement of fact. From the day that we got married, almost sixty years sixty years ago, we have tithed, but that has been the minimum of what we have done because we acknowledge that everything we have is a gift from God, to be used for the kingdom of God, not to be abused. And then I said the third reason you should give is you can pool your resources, and then you can send someone over the hills into the next valley and tell them about Jesus. One, to have a life of significance through the power of the Holy Spirit. Then number three, present your body as a living sacrifice to the Lord. I didn't say it. Paul did, writing to the Romans, chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds so you can demonstrate what is that good and acceptable and complete will of God Have you come to grips with the fact that God knows exactly who you are? He knows what your needs are, and he wants to provide for those needs in relationship to your commitment to him. Then, once you have presented your body as a sacrifice to the Lord, realize what an awesome structure it is about your body. God made you in his image a beautiful act of creative power. Your body consists of 50 trillion cells, some cases a few more, a few less, but 50 trillion cells. That's a lot of stuff here, and 30,000 genes. Your brain is a control center. It weighs 2.2 pounds. We are told that 10,000 thoughts flit in and out of your brain every single day, and those thoughts are processed by a hundred billion neurons in two hemispheres. Your heart, your heart is an amazing thing. Most of the time, you don't even know it's there until something goes wrong and then you realize, boy, I am hurting. Your heart pumps 18,000 gallons of blood every day through 75,000 miles of veins, arteries, and capillaries. And your eye, your eye is awesome. You know why? You go out into the sun, and the iris of your eye closes down. You go into a dark closet, and it opens up so that you can see more. Your tongue is the most sensitive part of your body. It tells you what is sweet or what is sour, what is pleasant or what is repugnant. Dr. Paul Brand, who was a missionary surgeon, though, said that your hand is the epitome of God's creative power, your hand. Ah, amazing, is it not? Paul said, give God the control of your body. What your eyes behold, what your hands touch, where your feet take you, even what you think about, this is your gift to him. And then he says, be filled with the Spirit. Writing to the Ephesians chapter 5 verse 18, where he says, stop being foolish, but understand what is the will of God for your life. And don't be drunk with wine, where it is the success, but rather be filled with the Holy Spirit. There are two Greek words for something that is filled. I'm not going to do it, but I got a bottle of water here. But if I had an empty cup and I took the water and I poured it in the cup, that would be one wind. Okay, you're standing down by the ocean. There's no wind. There's a sailboat out there, but with no wind and the sails up, where does the sailboat go? Nowhere. But when the wind begins to blow, filling the sails with air, The sailboat takes off and moves. That is a picture of many Christians who have no power in their spiritual lives. But when the Holy Spirit fills them with his power and with his wisdom, they take off and they move and they make a difference in our world. Wow. Number five, the Holy Spirit leads or directs you into the will of God. If you Googled the word air traffic controller, here's what you would find. Air traffic controller, are ATC or personnel responsible for the safe, orderly, and expeditious flow of air traffic in the global air traffic control system. You got it? In other words, air traffic controller is what controls all of the planes coming and going in the airport. The Holy Spirit, indwelling your heart, can give you wisdom encouraging you to do this or don't do this. I realize we're here in the Philippines, but when this happened, undoubtedly it made newspapers. It was the night of October the 1st, 2017. 2017. There was a crazed gunman by the name of Stephen Paddock who took the lives of 58 people who were at a rock music concert. It was country music in Las Vegas. Our youngest daughter was one of those who was there. She and several of her friends had flown to Las Vegas, and they were at the concert. She said, Dad, it's just good country music. But on the morning, when the gunman did what he did, she woke up, and something inside said, get out of here. Pack your bag and go home. And she immediately abandoned everything, headed for the airport, and she was not there when Stephen Paddock began pulling the trigger, and he killed 40 58 people and wounded another 489 awesome that is how the spirit of god can say do this or don't do this does this mean that she was more spiritual than others who were there no but she was connected and she sensed the holy spirit was saying get out of here and I hasten to say, those of you who know the, the Sailor clan know that if we rent a whole hotel room, we take advantage of that. We don't pack up and go home early. She had paid for the next night at the hotel, but she was at home safely when all of the calamity took place. Romans chapter 8, verses 26 through 28. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, For we don't know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he who searches our hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Number six, the Holy Spirit gives you the assurance of your salvation. I have known people who have gone to church almost all of their lives, but when they get down to the wire, they're not sure whether God has ever heard their prayer and whether they'd go to heaven if they die. Now, I have used this. I don't know how many people I've turned to and said, if you stood at the door of God's heaven and knocked, and Peter opened the door and said, why should I let you in? What would you say? Well, I'm a pretty good guy. I voted this ticket, or I did this, and I gave money here to the poor squatters over there, whatever. Uh-uh, it won't work. There is only one thing. I ask Jesus Christ to forgive my sin and to cleanse me of my foulness, and because of that, I can stand at the door of God's heaven and be sure if Peter opens the door, he'll say, Come on in. We've been looking for you. Welcome home. Wow the spirit helps us in our times of weakness it gives us the assurance of our salvation 1 john 5:13 by this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit underline that word know we know because he has given us his spirit Now, we come to the most serious and most important part of my message this morning. How can you become a spirit-filled Christian? What is really necessary? Well, I can tell you there is no how to be filled with the Spirit in three easy lessons taught in the Bible, but there are steps that we must take To become spirit-filled Christians that leave no question as to its clarity. Number one, you need to recognize your need to become a spirit-filled Christian. It is so much easier to look at other people and say, well, what he's talking about is exactly what she needs, or this is really what he needs, rather than to look yourself in the mirror and say, hey, stop playing games. There is more to God's power than what you have in your life. You need to become a spirit-filled Christian. Number two, confess any known sin in your life. Guys, do you have things on your computer that you wouldn't want your wife to see and God knows you wouldn't want Pastor Mel to see? Nothing is hidden from him. Hebrews says all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Men who have been involved in NASA have told me that there are satellites in space that are so powerful they can zoom in. If you're standing outside reading Star Week or reading a newspaper, it can zoom in and knows exactly what you're reading or what you're looking at. So If you pad your expense account and you say, well, everybody does it, but you know that it's really not right, stop it once and for all. And then, number three, as you know how, give yourself completely to the Lord. Luke chapter 11, verse 13, if you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, How much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? It was Jesus who said that. And then number five, accept the filling of the Holy Spirit by faith with thanksgiving. Galatians chapter 3, verses 13 and 14 say, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. What I'm about to recommend is very important. If you would like to have the filling of the Holy Spirit, go home, turn the TV off, leave your cell phone where you can't hear it, and get out on your knees and say, Lord, I need the fullness of your Holy Spirit. Here I am. Take my life and fill it. So then, what happens? Well, that depends upon three things number one it depends on your personality number two it depends on your temperament number three it depends upon your expectation now here's a word of warning never consider what god does for you on the basis of what he has done for someone else you are an individual and what the holy spirit does in taking control of your life is dependent upon three things number one your personality Are you an introvert or an extrovert? Number two, what is your temperament? And then number three, what are your expectations? Never should you evaluate what the Holy Spirit does in your life based on somebody else. And that is why God deals with us as individuals. There are some people who are tremendously blessed by just getting their hands up just a little bit. And there are others that go gun high and man, they're out there cheering and screaming and so forth. When I was writing my doctoral dissertation, I read more than 200 books where learned scholars said, this is what you need to do to become a spirit-filled Christian. And I came to the realization, much of it is dependent upon your personality, your temperament, and your expectations. Let me tell you briefly about three godly men who are spirit-filled. Dwight L. Moody, Reuben A. Torrey, and Charles Finney. The names of these three individuals may be entirely new, so I need to tell you who they are. Dwight L. Moody was a pastor in Chicago. He was working in a shoe store and one of the men working in the shoe stores led him to Christ. And he felt that God had called him to ministry. So he started a church in Chicago and the church grew. There were two women who sat on the front row. I can pick on you two if you don't mind, (laughs) okay. Two women and they would come to him and say, Mr. Moody, we are praying that you will be filled with the Holy Spirit. And Moody would say, don't pray for me, pray for others who need it. No, Mr. Moody, we are praying for you. And pray they did. And then there was a horrible fire that burned down the church. And when the church was burned down, Moody got on a train and he went to New York City. He went to the home of a friend and said, just, just let me have an upstairs bedroom and, and, and Please, please just leave me alone. I, I need to have some time with God. And he got down on his knees. And God changed his life. He came back home. He began to preach. He preached with power and many came to Christ. But Moody never said, I want to tell you about my experience. He told them about Jesus Christ. That was Dwight L. Moody, and eventually Moody Bible Institute was founded, and it's been an institution for institution for 150 years that has trained missionaries. All right, there was Charles, or there was uh, Dr. Torrey. Dr. Torrey was a Los Angeles pastor. He was preaching, but seemingly nothing really happened. So he came to the point where he realized he was either going to leave ministry or he needed the power of the Holy Spirit in his life. He went to his office. He told the secretary, hold my calls. And he went in and he got down on his knees and he began to pray. And after a while, he said, God has heard me. And he got up off his knees, walked out that door, and he was a changed Person. The third individual was an attorney. Oh, may I be so bold as to ask? Do we have any attorneys here today? Don't be ashamed. Uh, <laughs> it's okay. My uh, grandson uh, just took the bar yesterday, or day before, and so forth. So we think of attorneys a lot. Okay, attorneys are usually extroverts, right? That's how they succeed. They represent their client. And so Charles Finney came to a point in his life when he realized without the power of the Holy Spirit, he was nobody. And he went out into the woods and he got down on his knees and said, God, I want the power of the Holy Spirit in my life right now. And Moody said, It was like waves of joy just filled his life over and over, and he finally said, Lord, I can't handle any more of this. Okay, are you an introvert? You can really get blessed and you hardly raise your hand, uh, whatever. Are you an extrovert where you're boom, 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 or your expectations, something else? Now, let me say this. How God fills someone else with his spirit and changes their life is not necessarily the same pattern that God will use with you because you are a unique individual. But I can tell you, when you ask him to do something, he will do it. A.W. Tozier, who was a real man of God, said this, Let it be remembered that no one ever received the Holy Spirit's power without knowing it. He always announces himself to the inner consciousness. It took the death of God's Son to provide redemption, and he asked the death of your old nature to be filled with the Spirit. I am convinced that the filling of the Holy Spirit is what allows you to accomplish a purpose-driven life Whereby God maximizes your effectiveness in making a difference in our old world. So don't turn on a particular television channel or something where they're all extroverts and they think if you don't have the same experience that this person has, you just don't have it. God deals with us based on our temperaments. And based upon our experience in life. One of the books on that back table is getting acquainted with the Holy Spirit. And in the latter chapter of that, I describe in a limited capacity how God took knowledge from my head and put it in my heart and changed me. Oh, is this necessary? It's absolutely necessary. Do you remember in reading John, Jesus breathed upon the disciples, this is after the resurrection, and he said, receive ye the Holy Spirit. Got it? But I want you to go back to Jerusalem, and I want you to tarry there until you are endued with power from on high. Now, there's, there are two words in Greek. If I would take this and I would say, here, catch, and I throw it. She would expect me to throw it and to grasp it right then. That's one word. But the word that Jesus used is a powerful word, receive ye the Holy Spirit. So what am I what is my point? My point is at that point they received the Holy Spirit. But they did not have power in their Christian lives. He said, go back to Jerusalem and wait until you are endued with power from on high. Many, many Christians have been born again and the Holy Spirit has come to make their bodies a temple. But they have not yielded to him, turning over everything they have to Jesus Christ. So the Holy Spirit takes control and guides them and directs them. There are times the Holy Spirit will impress something on you that you'd never even thought of before. On one occasion, I was in China. And I spoke to a government group on really the power of emotions and what they do in our lives. Okay, the next day my, phone, my cell phone rang, and a voice on the other end of the line says, is this Dr. Sale?" I said, yes it is. And they said, did you obtain a business visa before you came into China? And immediately I said, no. I said, when I'm paid professionally for my services, I get a visa, a business visa. But when I donate my time, as I did yesterday, I come on a tourist visa. It satisfied the person. And as soon as I clicked him off, I thought, man, it must have been the Holy Spirit who prompted me to say that. You're not smart enough to think of that. And over the years, I have seen occasions where the Holy Spirit gave very clear guidance. Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas want to go east into Bithynia. But the Spirit of God would not allow them. So instead, they turned to the West. You know who would have been evangelized if they had gone into the East? It would have been Russian Christians. And they would have been Russians. But instead, he turned to the West. And eventually, it was, it was Rome. And from there, it came to the United States. And it's here in the Philippines as well. The Holy Spirit is God. There are not three gods, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. God is one, and he has a plan and a purpose for you. If you're serious about having the power of the Holy Spirit, go home, close the door, and get alone with God and say, Lord, I want you to take control of my life. And then what can you expect? some of the very things that I have shared with you this morning because he knows the future and you don't. He knows how to protect you. He knows how to guide you. He knows how to prompt you to speak and at other times to refrain from speaking and keep your mouth shut, which also may be sometimes necessary. (laughs) But at any length, he takes control of your life. Now, When you receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit came to indwell you and to make your body a temple. But when you release your control of your life and let him take control, he gives you guidance in ways that you would have never known apart from that. My time is really gone this morning, but hopefully I help encouraged you to think deeper and to go beyond where you are now that in your business in whatever you do for a living wherever you are that he can have complete control and then it's an exciting ride and you will someday look back and say oh thank god that i crossed that threshold and ask him to take control of my life let's pray heads bowed, eyes closed I have one final question and my question is this has the Holy Spirit spoken to the need of your life today this is not a plea to become a Christian you are a Christian you know that but you're a powerless Christian and you would really like to have the power of the Holy Spirit taking control of your life to guide you to direct you and to use you in his service. Could I see your hands? There's a hunger in your heart for what I've talked about. Yes, all over the build, all over the building. Thank God. From the front to the very back of the church. Thank you, Heavenly Father. In Jesus' name, I pray that you will give the fullness of the Holy Spirit to these who have raised a hand toward heaven. In the quietness of the afternoon, take control of their life, and Father, guide them in what they do in business, in what they do for leisure, so that others may see Christ in them, and that you will be glorified, Lord, in all that they do. Thank you, Father. As we take our hands and reach toward heaven, let it be a lightning rod that the Holy Spirit will use to refire our spirits for you. We thank you in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen.
0: Praise the Lord. What a blessing that sermon was to us. Amen. Shall we give the Lord another big hand, please? Praise the Lord. You know, my wife and I are totally inspired with this couple. They're past their 80s already, and I'm just so thankful that they're still going strong uh, in so far as their ministry is concerned. Uh, Dr. Harold Sela just completed his 34th uh, book, and uh, he's saying that this might be his last. I doubt it. <laughs> Because that is what he told me when he did getting acquainted with the Holy Spirit. He said, probably this will be the last. And he still went on and did another book. And this is just really so inspiring. um, Because, you know, I just recently celebrated my birthday. I'm now 58 years old. And uh, now, why are you clapping your hands? (laughs) Did I just graduate from something? (laughs) But really, you know, when you reach uh, your 50s, things begin to change. There are certain things that you begin to feel that you did not feel before. Somebody said, when I reached 50 years old, everything started to click. My ankle started to click. My wrists started to click. Everything started to click. And so there are many things physically that you are no longer able to do when you were younger. And quite honestly, uh, having reached this age, sometimes I ask myself the question, how long do I, how long can I keep this going? Working, serving God, doing things for ministry, and yet In my conversation with Dr. Sela just this week, he just said something that really clicked in my heart. And this is what he said, age is just a number. And you know, that stuck with me, that really stuck with me. Age is just a number. And you know it is true that there are certain things that you're no longer able to do when you reach a certain age. Your memory is no longer as sharp as it used to be. Your body is no longer athletic or as strong as it used to be. But you know, with the empowering of the Holy Spirit, you're able to do things that would truly surprise you. God never ceases to amaze us Because as He fills us with His Holy Spirit, and the power of God takes over, we are just so surprised with the many things that He's able to do through us. One illustration I can share with you this morning is that many of us fail to realize that we are just a glove. You know, you can put a glove on a table and ask it to do certain things. You can ask it to to hold on to certain things. You can ask it to touch certain things. But you know what? A glove is a glove. It cannot do anything of itself. But when your hand gets into the glove, then it is able to do what you want it to do when your hand is in the cloud. And I see that God working in our lives, in ourselves, we are really nothing. Jesus made it very clear, apart from me, you can do nothing. But with the power of the Holy Spirit, Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Amen. So, shall we give the Lord a big hand? And once again, thank you, Dr. Selah. Thank you, Darlene, Boney, and Louisa. Thank you for being here this morning. Shall we rise from our seats? So, shall we pray at this time? Our Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you and bless you, Lord, for this blessed morning. What a joy it is, Lord, to see one of your great warriors to be with us, Lord, and we thank you that although he has passed 80, the energy is still there, the vibrance is still there, the freshness is still there, and we just rejoice and thank you, Lord, for his life. We trust, Lord, that you will continue to use them both Dr. Harold and Darlene, and of course, Bonnie and Louisa. We pray that you might use them mightily, most especially this afternoon and tomorrow as they handle the seminars. We thank you, O oh God. We're so blessed this morning and we give you thanks and praise for all the things that you've done in our lives. Indeed, Lord, apart from you, we are nothing. But Lord, although we are poor, you have made us rich in you, and we give you thanks and praise. We thank you also for the opportunity to give our tithes, our grace gifts, and our offerings. Lord, use them for the glory of your holy name. And whatever is, has been achieved today, we give you back all the glory. In Jesus' mighty name we pray, amen. Amen.